Welcome to the Empowered Healer Show with your host, Dr. Susan Allison. Our program will present healing methods and ideas to help you change the challenging parts of your life and support the people who mean the most to you. Now, here is Dr. Susan Allison. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Empowered Healer Show. I'm Dr. Susan Allison, and I'm so glad that you're here. How's your week going? You know, mine's been good. It's been very busy, but overall good. And I was thinking about this this morning, what makes it a good week? And lots of things. But one of the best parts in my life is living in a beautiful place, Santa Cruz, California, just two blocks from the ocean. So apples are ripening on our trees, the persimmons are getting bigger, and my tomatoes are bright red. This also makes me realize, which I always realize, but probably more deeply now because of our guest, that I love nature. And although I no longer live in the mountains with redwoods and a waterfall, I have an urban farm. Seven fruit trees, lots of roses and jasmine and angel's trumpet. And actually, I cannot imagine a world without nature, especially for me, especially trees, I nearly lived in my pepper tree when I was a kid and in a tree fort that I built myself. I'm surprised I didn't fall through many times. It was so ramshackle, but I hated to come in when my parents called me and I would have spent the night there every night if they'd let me. So I just loved it and I love nature. It's always been my retreat, my solace, my religion. I feel God there and I feel one with everything. This is why our guest today, Tim Corcoran, speaks my language, the language of the wild, of open sky and mountains and woods. He even says in his book, Growing Up with a Soul Full of Nature, that he remembers trees the way some people remember childhood friends. And all I have to say is, me too. So during the show, Tim is going to talk about his youth, how the darker times were a catalyst for his work as a defender of nature. He'll explain what it means to have a code of honor, why having mentors is so important, how nature can help us find our true selves, why rites of passage are important, and how, even as adults, that we can open our hearts and connect again with the natural world. Tim is going to inspire us to become kids again, and as he says in his book, get muddy, sit under a tree with no distractions and feel inspired. Tim will also give specific suggestions about how we can help protect, sustain, and ensure the survival of our beautiful planet. So a little bit about Tim. He actually had his first experience in the woods at age six, and he says he knew he was home. At 17, he spent four months alone in the Canadian wilderness and began teaching wildlife conservation in 1974 He's worked from, for many, many uh, nature-related preserves, an Alberta game farm, uh, a zoo in Florida, and also here in, in uh, California, Marine World Africa, USA. He co-founded Native Animal Rescue in Santa Cruz, California. And in the 80s, he founded a wilderness school also in Santa Cruz called Pathfinders, where he led survival and vision quest trips. In 1992, he created Headwaters Outdoor School in Mount Shasta, California, to realize his lifelong vision of sharing what he's learned from nature and to inspire people to discover their own connection with the earth. 
Tim teaches outdoor living skills to young people and adults. He's also an accomplished photographer, and in 2006, he opened his own gallery in Mount Shasta. So, Tim, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. Good. I'm so happy I could, we could finally coordinate it uh, and get you here. Um, I want to start with your childhood since I do this with all my guests and because it really, your childhood had a huge effect on you. And, you know, growing up in Central California, especially, and most of us who live here think of Silicon Valley at, you know, we think of computers. We think of, of the corporate world when we think of Silicon Valley, but you had a different experience, didn't you? When I grew up, uh, the Silicon Valley was as idyllic a place, I think, as a kid could could grow up. It was beautiful nat- native creeks running all over the place and endless woodlands surrounded by endless orchards of cherries and peaches and uh, all kinds of other fruit and, very, and a few houses, maybe, maybe 20% of it was houses, small little pockets, uh, and wonderful schools where the teachers really loved teaching. It was... It was really kind of an idyllic place, yeah. I know. I, I loved reading that in your book. And, and you know what? I used to teach a class called Wilderness Literature, and I taught John Muir's The Yosemite. And John Muir describes the Santa Clara Valley in the same way when he's coming from San Francisco through there and then to Yosemite. It always boggled my mind that he described it with orchards and wildflowers, and I, I just couldn't picture it because it's not like that now. No, it's uh, now. I don't. I don't think there's one orchard left. That there, there may be one small cherry orchard that is pretty old and dying. I think I was told by someone it's it's almost all cement and buildings now, and and that was also some of the greatest topsoil known, you know. And we we built we built on the top of it. It's it seems somewhat crazy, you know. Crazy and almost criminal, and I felt that way where I grew up in, in Yorba Linda in Southern California. I went back for a wedding and asked where all the orchards were, and this guy at a gas station literally said to me, well, you just turn right and you go down Rose Drive, and there's an orchard on the corner, and that was it. And I, I thought he was kidding me, but he wasn't. He was serious. It was horrible. It's so, one of the scary things is, when we destroy nature, we quickly forget what we had, and the next few generations completely forget, and then the new baseline becomes what we have, and I think that's very dangerous. It's really dangerous. You know, where I grew up is now a strip mall. It's like just, just miles and miles and miles of malls and pavement, and it was it breaks my heart. I, I My children wanted to see it, and I took, it, took them there to see my house, but it was hard. You know, and I'm sure it's hard for you when you look at Silicon Valley now. Yeah, it is very hard. I don't. I actually don't go back there hardly ever. I, I just have no desire. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And why would you when you're in Mount Shasta, which is just such a power spot? I wanted to ask you, and I don't want you to give details because it, it's horrible. I could. I had to skim through your book about this period in your life, about the darker aspects, what you found in that shed that changed your life forever, and really in a way, was a catalyst for leading you to where you are now. But can you share in general about what happened to you? Sure. You know, around the age of the 7, 8, into 9, um, I, there was, we, we lived in a cul-de-sac and back then. And, you know, it was really, like I said, idyllic. We, all the kids knew each other, and we played, and it was safe, and you could go outside, and there was really no fear. And there were some people that lived in the end of the cul-de-sac, and, Looking back on it now, I, they they were a satanic type of people, and they they 
took me on. They, they ended up babysitting and took me on, and uh, the things they did to me was really beyond belief. And uh, I, in the book, I didn't get into huge specifics because I wanted the book to be an inspirational nature book, not a psychology book. Yep. Um, but it, it was horrendous, and I think what happened to me, uh, it was about as bad as any story you could ever hear. I, I pretty much sugarcoated it in the book yep. um, for that reason I stated. And if I hadn't had nature, I'm sure I would have ended up just a horrible person messed up by it. Yep. And nature really was the baseline that, that cared for me and protected me and, and pulled me through it. And I'm absolutely sure of that. And yep. since that time, I've done a lot of psychological healing work, and I've worked with a lot of people um, who have had similar uh, experiences. Um, and so many of them also say nature pulled them through. So it was fascinating how I've discovered since how many other people from all over the country have had similar experiences with nature helping them through very difficult times when they were young. You know, you're absolutely right. In fact, I thought for some time even to write a book about that because John Muir had an abusive father and he used to crawl out his window in Scotland and go off into the wilderness and escape his father's beatings. And Sally Carragher is another naturalist who had a horrible childhood with a mother who hated her. And she became this famous naturalist because... I think we turn to nature, we turn to the to the mother, we turn to that solace that we can find there and that love uh, when we've had something difficult in our childhoods. Yeah, I, I remember one time I was so inspired, I, I was going through all that, and I was watching a television interview of a world-famous hockey star who had been abused as a kid uh, and a hockey, as a hockey player. When they traveled, his coach had abused him con- consistently throughout the time they traveled. And he said, this hockey star said, nature saved my life. I always went to nature, and I thought it just blew me away to hear that from him, you know. Yep, I think it's universal. You know, it's like, you know, my father was a was an alcoholic, functioning, but an alcoholic. And I think that's why I lived in my tree fort. You know, I would much rather be in my tree fort in this beautiful, beautiful environment than be in the house. And so I think it's true for many of us who, who are nature lovers. I wanted to ask about some of your mentors. We, we have a couple minutes till break, but I wanted to start on this because you had so many blessings in terms of the people that you had in your life who taught you. My, my mentors, I, I, you know, it, I, I truly believe mentors are one of the great answers to how we need if we grow up in the right way, we have them. And I, I think it's been lost in our culture today, and it's one thing I'd sure love to see come back. Mm-hmm. And I had three mentors who were just vital to me. I had an uncle that lived in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, so the location was wonderful too. Um, and I had a grandfather who lived in the Mission Mountains on the Flathead Indian Reservation in Montana. And then I had this Swedish man who was an engineer slash naturalist who lived in Sunnyvale who was, the father of one of my friends, and they all mentored me in a, they, in nature and, and in the art of living and you know growing up and being a good man, and and they did it very very consciously and they were very strict about it, and, um, and it it just changed my life and and as a kid I just gravitated to them because I think boys and girls when you're young you want that you you crave that, mm-hmm. and when it shows up you just naturally know it's the right thing. And you want to learn all you can. And they did. They, each one of them taught me a little differently. Um, 
the Swedish naturalist took me around the country on uh, to 35 states when I was 12 um, for a rite of passage trip, if you could imagine that, wow. um, uh, for the whole summer, an entire summer, seeing the whole country, learning about the country we live in. Um, my grandfather raised me in, the, in some of the native ways of the sweat lodge and the uh, how to live off the land, and my uncle taught me hunting and fishing and the ethics around that and some of the other things. And my father was just a good man. He was, he didn't consciously uh, mentor me, but he, he gave me a tremendous amount of freedom, and he he taught me how to build. And and my mother, she taught me how to love. She taught me how to live mm-hmm. out what love is and how to be that loving. So, you know, I was I had that from many different places. Yes, you did. Yeah, you were really blessed in that way. And, um, you know, I, I have read this and have shared it with clients that if we have just one person in our lives, one person who loves us and one person who mentors us and we feel that with them, we're going to be fine. I we're totally gonna be, agree with that. We're going to be fine. So it's time to take a break, but we are here with Tim Corcoran and, uh, it's going to be a great show and we'll be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Dr. Susan Allison is available online, by phone, and in person to help you heal whatever is no longer working in your life. You can go to her website at www.empoweredhealer.com or call her toll-free at 866-268-2121. Dr. Allison also has CDs and DVDs available on her website to empower you even more. You can listen to her voice guide you through meditations, visualizations, and exercises from her book, Empowered Healer. Her powerful book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, and from local bookstores. Begin today to gain the confidence, power, and ability to heal yourself. Visit EmpoweredHealer.com or call 866-268-2121. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Be the change. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. We are held in the hands of the goddess. We are held, we are held, we are held. You are tuned in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. If you wish to speak to Dr. Allison or her guests this week, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. 
888-538-5795. Or you can send an email to the Empowered Healer at Comcast.net. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone, to the Empowered Healer Show. And I have as my guest Tim Corcoran, author of Growing Up with a Soul Full of Nature. If you're just tuning in, we were talking about uh, his, some of the rougher times in his childhood and how um, they were a catalyst for his growth and also that he had mentors and that mentors are so important um, to help us grow and to appreciate, in this case, nature. Tim, I want to ask you during the break, we were talking about trees. What, what are some of your favorite trees or your favorite experiences with trees or in nature when you were growing up that have stayed with you? Well, back where I grew up, um, in the Sunnyvale area, back in those days, there were some massive oak trees. And I had a couple of different oak trees that I spent many, many nights and days in where mm-hmm. I built you know, entire forts in them, platforms and different levels and I remember I was always inspired back as a kid. I watched that famous movie uh, by Walt Disney called The uh, Swiss Family Robinson. Yep. And they had the, the greatest treehouse ever in the world in that one. And so I was always trying to make these treehouses. And, and because where I was growing, there was, growing up, there was a lot of building going on. It was always like leftover lumber. And then there was natural stuff too that you could get as a kid. So it was endless. So forts in these old oak trees were some of the greatest. And then I love the old redwood trees, especially the old stumps that were kind of burned out and hollow, and you could go in and just disappear into the tree. Mm. I had many of those. Um, And those, once you would go in, it was was almost like they'd pull you in and and just cradle you and take care of you. And as soon as you would walk in, all your troubles would just seem to drift away. In fact, you tell a story in the book where you the tree did that and saved you from some bullies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yep. Yeah. It just literally was running away from them. I was alone and uh, not in a place where I could have defended myself against them. And I was, it was like the tree grabbed me and pulled me in. And I really feel like it did. You know, it was, it's, it's, it really did grab me and pull me in. It's just one of those mysterious things that you can't really explain, but you know it happened. Yeah, yeah. And I also remember you sharing how heartbreaking it was when they cut those trees down. Almost every great tree I knew as a kid has been cut, and when I was a kid, there was there was some that I they were cut right before my very eyes. Oh my God! Um, and since you know, I, I, I for many many years I lived in Santa Cruz, and I, I now live in Mount Shasta, in Northern California. But in Santa Cruz, I had oh, probably about seven or eight trees around the area that were I would consider my power trees that I would go and visit. And in the time I was there, about four of those were cut down and. And three of them, I was present for it. That was very mm. difficult to take. Yeah. No, I, I had that kind of relationship with trees. And all the eucalyptus trees and a lot of the orange trees where I grew up were cut down. And, you know, they're housing houses there now. Um, they, you know, it made way for houses. But they all, the, I think the hardest one for me, and I've written a song about it even, is that they first let them all die. They first just let the orange groves, they didn't water them. And so they just let them just, you know, die. I think that was harder for me watching their branches wither. And I, even as a kid, I would take buckets of water and try to water them, but I couldn't do it. Obviously, a whole grove. Mm. It's horrible. There's just no water in that. It's, it's what they do is they, sometimes they'll wring them 
to do that. They'll they'll cut around the bark at the bottom of the tree, or they just won't water them, as you said. And yep. there's just no honor in that. And what it is is it, it doesn't it, it doesn't make a statement that we believe that trees are living beings and have a right to their own way of living. There's no respect there, you know. I agree with you. I agree. In fact, that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you, which is about a code of honor. You talk about it in the book. Um, you know, you said a code of honor is a heartfelt set of beliefs that has meaning for you and you alone. And can you tell us what your code of honor became? In other words, I'm sure it changed over the years, but what is your code of honor and how do people, like my listeners, how do they, you know, get a code of honor? Well, you know, we can keep it really simple. I mean, it can get very complicated and very detailed if you want, and that's, that's fine. But the simplest, most important things, and if you can imagine this, if all people worked at living this way, what a wonderful world it would be. Um, come practice kindness, truly look into what it is to be kind and pre- make it a lifestyle. Make mm-hmm. part of your lifestyle being of service, or another way to put it is help when help is needed. Come from the heart, and when you come from the heart, that's how you communicate with nature and all other beings. Um, give your best mm-hmm. at whatever you do. Go into it completely. Um, practice respect for all things, including yourself, nature, people, animals, insects, everything. Often the smallest creatures teach us how to be respectful the best, like the, the, the creatures that are at the base of where we walk, you know, and we affect every day, and plants included in that. Um, they're some of the very basic things that if and we could go on and on, uh, yep. but if we just lived those things, uh, everything would be different. I love that. I don't think that that's that simple, actually. I mean, it's simple that there are few of the things you listed, but to actually live it is where the trick is for most of us as humans. Absolutely. And, you know, we're tested every day um, with how to live those things. And I, I bring it right back to nature. Nature is the best place to practice living those things because nature is a, it's the greatest friend you'll ever have. It's always there for you. Um, it doesn't want anything from you. It doesn't try to take anything from you. Um, if you know your skills and you know how to be in nature, it will always keep giving. And if you don't know your skills and you don't do well in nature and you end up dying, it will turn you into compost and plant a tree, and it will love you just as much either way. <laughs> you know? So it's such an honest relationship, Yep. authentic relationship, which is so often so difficult to achieve with human beings. It is so, so true. You know, what you were talking about, and I think in the book you say, you know, don't kill anything in terms of, you know, like step around the ant nest. Uh, it's, it's like for years with my kids, I always put the spider in the jar, put the paper towel over yeah. it, the spider outside. That's how I, I raised my kids. And that's how, what they do now in their own homes. I think that's a wonderful way to be. I mean, why needlessly kill another another living being? It makes no sense. I mean, obviously, if a mosquito attacks you and bites you, that's your own. That's between you and the mosquito. If you want to smash it, um, I understand that. And you know, we have to do certain things, like trap mice in our house, or they would take over. I understand, but in general, there's so much we can do to be respectful to the world that we don't do. And it's in those little things, like take care of the spiders, like you mentioned that really build that foundation for us to live 
live a life of service and kindness. Exactly. You know, and you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago just about about connecting with and communicating with everything in the natural world. And some people call that divination, that you actually go out and the tree, you'll get a message from the tree or the clouds. Can you can you talk about that a bit and how people can tune into that more? Well, I'm sure there's many different beliefs around it, but what I believe, and most of the na- traditional native cultures who live with the earth believe, um, and by the way, almost all people have native native cultural background in their uh, in their heritage if you go back in time we we all had people who live with the earth mm-hmm. um, and most people from native backgrounds and I too we believe that all things are living even stones everything is living everything has its own life force and an inherent right to live on the living earth itself and so first it's your attitude if you you have to come at it from the, the attitude that you believe that if you do Mm-hmm. And that changes everything. Once you once you truly believe that, you're not just saying it, um, then the things are open up to you. Yeah. Then if you come from the heart, if you open the heart, and in opening the heart, that becomes kind of the vessel for the communication to take place. Another way we put it is like we have our we have our five senses, our basic senses, smelling, touching, feeling, and so forth. And then our sixth sense, we call it our inner vision or our intuitive side. When the heart is open, nature speaks to us through that space, that inner vision. Yep. And we feel it more often than we get words or things like I'm speaking now. It's it's more of a feeling. And then we have to learn to trust our feelings and go with it. And, and we practice and practice until one day you walk out in nature in the woods and everything feels different, and you feel like you're a complete part of it. You belong there, and that's where you're supposed to be. Yep, yep. <coughs> you know, it's it's um it's happened to me. I've done um, a few vision quests, and on, particularly on my first vision quest, I was out in the California desert for ten days, and I had been practicing before I went. We had a nine month preparation, like a birth. I I would hear messages, and now when I lead groups and I tell people, you know, you'll hear it. It's not like the cloud has a mouth, you know, or the rock, but you'll just hear you'll hear a message from that part of nature in your mind. You'll just hear it, or, or in your heart, wherever you believe that the message is coming through. But though, for me, there was actually there were words, and I would get a message um, from the clouds, or the hawk, or the stones, or the the dirt. Are uh, the Joshua Tree, and um, I've helped helped people um, be able to do that just by, as you say, paying attention and um, using the sixth sense with an open heart. It takes a certain amount of faith. It takes a certain amount of practice. Um, and that, well, there's this great old saying: for those who believe, no proof is necessary, and for those who don't believe. Uh, no proof is possible. Mm. So you've got to come from a place where you believe it's possible. And um, I think it's very simple. All these things are living things. They have a unique, inherent way that they live in the earth. They don't have blood. They don't have skin like us, hair like us. It doesn't mean that they're any less important. And yep. one of the challenges of humans is to get off our you know, high horse, our egocentric high horse, and be willing to come at another being from the way they live rather than from the way we live and 
Yep, Once that that's happens, it. your whole life becomes so full and, and so amazing. It's, it's just such a gift. You're so right. I completely agree that there's a humbling and there's respect. I think respect is the key word. And we do need to take a break, and we'll be right back with Tim Corcoran. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Susan Allison is available online, by phone, and in person to help you heal whatever is no longer working in your life. You can go to her website at www.empoweredhealer.com or call her toll-free at 866-268-2121. Dr. Allison also has CDs and DVDs available on her website to empower you even more. You can listen to her voice guide you through meditations, visualizations, and exercises from her book, Empowered Healer. Her powerful book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, and from local bookstores. Begin today to gain the confidence, power, and ability to heal yourself. Visit EmpoweredHealer.com or call 866-268-2121. What are the benefits to combining modern science with ancient healing practices? For the answers, you'll want to tune in to Frame of Mind with your host, Terry Sue. Each week, our program focuses on ways to live more holistically. By developing new ways of looking at our world, we can find ways to foster harmony and peace for the good of mankind and our planet. If we learn to live and think healthier, we begin to explore and focus on our strengths. Tune into Frame of Mind, Saturdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. We are held in the hands of the goddess. We are held, we are held, we are held. You are tuned in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. If you wish to speak to Dr. Allison or her guests this week, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to the Empowered Healer at Comcast.net. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone, and I'm here with Tim Corcoran, author of Growing Up with a Soul Full of Nature. Tim is a naturalist and a teacher, and he has a school called the Headwaters Outdoor School in Mount Shasta, California. So, Tim, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, you said in the book that nature will help us find our true selves. How, how does that happen for people? Well, nature is, I, I believe, one of the most honest relationships we'll ever have. It's, it's, nature is, is a very honest, direct relationship. And I, I think that in, when you move into nature and you start to communicate with all the different beings in it, the plants, the animals, the water, the sky, all the things, 
um, there there becomes a, a time a moment when when you walk out into the woods and everything's different. And the difference is you feel like you are a part of the woods. You feel like you are the deer, you are the tree. And that's a really a profound moment in a person's life. Mm. And I call it, it's like reclaiming our birthright. You know, we're, we're born into this modern world where we've pushed nature out so verbally. We've pushed it out. Um, mm. So we're naturally, I think, meant to have a close personal relationship with nature and at birth. And traditionally we were born into that. So we're reclaiming that whatever age we are, mm-hmm. and it's a profound moment when it happens, and everything changes after that. Your life becomes so much fuller. You're so much more in touch with spirit, whatever that is to you, um, and it, everything just expands and off of that, and it's, it's just truly amazing. Yeah, you talk in the book you know, a lot about working with kids, because I know you do that a lot at the outdoor school, but... With adults, is it harder to work with them? Like, does it take them longer to to start connecting? And, and, you know, most of the people listening to the show are adults that maybe haven't been in nature for a long time. You know, they, they may remember some connection when they were kids. But what's the challenge with adults? And, like, how, how do you help adults? You know, you talk about, you know, you say something about, you know, you help them open their hearts, they connect with the natural world. How do you do that? Um, we, if, if they come up to my land and come to my school, I find from my own observation, it takes about four days on average for an adult to let go of all the pressures of life, like taking care of the kids, paying the bills, getting to the job, you know, all the appointments, the full-on calendar book. It takes about four days to wash that out. It can be sped up with certain types of ceremonies, like the uh, the the sweat lodge ceremony or vision quest like ceremonies, where you sit alone out in the woods for a while, or getting into water a lot, or climbing big trees and staying in them. Those kind of things kind of ground you and get you more present. Mm-hmm. But it takes a, a faith and a belief by the adult and a wanting to learn and to kind of reclaim that that birthright. And once that happens, things speed up. Uh, I, I find adults that struggle the most are the ones, uh, and nothing at all against this type of, of adult, but it's the ones that have the engineering minds, the, the very calculating minds. They're brilliant at figuring things out, but they have a very hard time getting, getting out of the logical brain and getting into feeling and experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so much of what happens in nature cannot be explained in a logical way. It's it's more mysterious, and you have to just be willing to go with the mystery. In fact, a lot of the native peoples used to, used to call God or spirit the great mystery, mm-hmm. and what happened, they, they were okay with mystery. In other words, they could still believe that there was communication or believe that something ha- what was happening without having to know how. Yeah, and we grow up in a very scientific world, so we're always trying to figure everything out, and a lot of these things cannot be figured out. But if yep. you did nothing, if you did no school or anything, and you just went into nature every day, you would go deeper, and eventually, you would all all the memories and all the, the different beliefs around nature would come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, and what you're saying also reminds me that in our culture, we're so future centered. <laughs> We're not in the present moment. And so when you're in nature, you are in the present moment. And I think that people 
some people are uncomfortable being in their own skin and being in the present because they're so used to being on electronics and they're so used to planning. So they stay in the future. I don't know if you agree, but I, I see that with my own clients that they're not able many times to be in the present and be in their own skin. Oh, you're so right. And I, I find too, and that's a whole other thing, and I, is the, the, the electronic world we live in today, that's not going to, we're not going to get rid of that. That's only going to get more so. Yeah. But you can't go anywhere without seeing people constantly with their their heads and their faces in their uh, little mini computers or their mini phones. Um, and you watch people sometimes sit on a bench and try to relax, and they'll just keep checking it. So we're, yeah. we're almost changing the way we are fundamentally with these things. And in nature, it's the complete opposite. It's all about being and feeling and experiencing. Yeah, with your senses and, again, being in the moment. And I, I'm worried about this whole electronic age just because I see it distancing us not only from nature but distancing us from each other. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's a, you know, people are afraid of intimacy. They're afraid of connection. Uh, connecting to themselves, connecting to other people, and having these electronics—it's it, you know—it's a way for them to feel safe. They think, but it puts distance between them and others, and definitely uh, with nature. I, I find that um, people send me emails from my school, and I usually will send them back an email saying, "Give me your phone number. I want to talk to you." Yep. And they're like, what? You want to talk to me? But, you know, if I'm going to have somebody come to my school or send their child to my school, I want to know who they are and I want more detail than what you could have in an email. But that's becoming almost a strange thing. And emails, they, they create this space where, uh, yep. it's, I don't even know how to put it into words, but you, you can say more than you normally would and you don't have to get quite as deep and, uh, something's removed from it. It's, and I realize it's a great business tool. It makes sense on occasion, but it's, uh, I hope we never get away from actually talking to each other. <laughs> I agree with you. And you and I talked, in fact, way before you were scheduled on the show, and I like to talk to my guests. I, I, I might even meet a guest tomorrow face to face, and I've done that before, and I really love it because then there's a rapport and you're connecting heart to heart. You're not just connecting uh, through this electronic uh, means that does uh, cause it creates separation. I feel. I think one of the greatest ways to reclaim nature too, and you were asking earlier, as, as you were mentioning it in the beginning uh, here, uh, is to grow things. Be a gardener. Plant things. When you when you grow a seed and you plant it into the ground and you nurture it and you protect it from insects and weather, you watch it grow every day. Then eventually, perhaps you eat it, or it just becomes something beautiful in your garden, ornamentally. Um, and then you watch animals live off of it and enjoy it. Uh, that there's no better way to connect deeply to nature than that. Mm-hmm. It, you witness creation before your very eyes, and you're a part of it. You're so right, and this is good for any listeners. You know, you can grow something, and also you can, you know, just walk anywhere where there is some nature. Even if you're in a city, go somewhere to a park. You know, and you're going to see life. You're going to see little insects, and you're going to see creatures and little squirrels jumping from tree to tree. And so I feel like we can seek out a uh, refuge from uh, this this busy, crazy, uh, frenetic life, no matter where we live. Oh, yeah. I, I think ideally, if, if a person has the gift and the ability to do it, 
on occasion, going to a pure wilderness area is one of the most inspirational things you'll ever have happen. Yeah. Um, but it's nature's everywhere. I mean, there's the famous uh, story by Shel Silverstein, the crack in the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, there's nature in a crack in the sidewalk. There's uh, there's the the trees that are on the busy city streets that need attention. There's the vacant lots are full of edible plants. Uh, and many places, people take great pride in their gardens, and the gardens have great spirit and, and power in them. They go sit and be in them and so forth. So it's, it's everywhere. I agree with you. I agree with you. One more so, thing I could mention yeah. is, is, plant, is plant your garden, put water out, put bird seed out, put, bring nature to you, and then you help mm-hmm. to bring it back, and at the same time you're part of the whole creation process. It's a great idea, and I think it's also consciousness that you're conscious, you know, that we're we're just a you know one little spoke, you know, and there are all these facets of of nature that we're part of, uh, that we're part of nature. So you've got the birds, you have the insects, you have the butterflies, and so on. And I think it's a great idea to put some bird seed out. You know, I have all kinds of feeders all around my house, and for the hummingbirds and other birds, the bigger birds, and um, there's a generosity of spirit when you do that too. You, you make your yard a nature preserve, and it fills you up, and it makes the world a better place to live. We all win. What could be better? Nothing could be better. I wanted to ask you about rites of passage because you say in the book that they're really important, and that we've lost them. And can you talk about rites of passage sure. that maybe people can do themselves, or that you do there? Um, just talk about that for a moment. Well, rite of passage is something native peoples used to do to ensure their own survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, young people around the age of 13 to 14, 15, would go through a rite of passage to help guide them into manhood and womanhood in a conscious way. In other words, they would be taught what it was to live a conscious life as an adult and how to do it by the elders and so forth like that. And there was usually a ritual or some kind of a rite that you had to do, tests you had to go through, it was different for all that would do it, depending on where they lived. But ultimately then, what would happen in the old days is the, those, those from, from about 14 up through about 30, those were the ones that took care of the children and the elders. In our society, mm-hmm. it's completely different now. Yeah. And it, we, it ensured the survival of the people because it ensured that there was going to be respectful young people turning into respectful elders, which was the way it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And as we've eliminated rite of passage from our world now, you just look around, and the world's run by uninitiated men and women. All the mm-hmm. problems we have are really created by self-serving, egocentric people who don't think about the bigger picture, who don't come from service or from heart or from kindness. And rite of passage promotes those things. And how to do it is we have our, our program where um, – Young people come and they they go through all kinds of different tests. They create a code of honor. They do sweat lodges, and they culminate it with a 24-hour sit in a small space out on our land, with no food, just water. Mm-hmm. They just sit there and they they make their code of honor a part of who they are, and they really start to look at their future life and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, Great. code of honor can be put on by uncles, by grandfathers, by elders. It shouldn't really be done by the parents traditionally. It's better to be done by the community. Mm-hmm. But if, if that's all you have as a parent who's interested, it's better than nothing. 
Yeah, to do some sort of rite of passage for kids, which they do here in Santa Cruz, I can mention when we come back from the break. But there are communities uh, that do rites of passage for young people. Um, And we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with Tim Corcoran. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Is there a difference between dream work and intuition? The relationship is closer than you think. These are mutually supportive concepts. When you dream, your intuition serves as a foreshadow of the future and can bring rapid results through dream analysis. Tune in to The Partnership of Intuition and Dreams with your host, Dr. Marcia Emery. Explore this unique relationship and learn to understand how the symbolism of dreams can be clarified. Listen every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Susan Allison is available online, by phone, and in person to help you heal whatever is no longer working in your life. You can go to her website at www.empoweredhealer.com or call her toll-free at 866-268-2121. Dr. Allison also has CDs and DVDs available on her website to empower you even more. You can listen to her voice guide you through meditations, visualizations, and exercises from her book, Empowered Healer. Her powerful book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, and from local bookstores. Begin today to gain the confidence, power, and ability to heal yourself. Visit EmpoweredHealer.com or call 866-268-2121. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. We are held in the hands of the goddess. We are held, we are held, we are held. You are tuned in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. If you wish to speak to Dr. Allison or her guests this week, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to the Empowered Healer at Comcast.net. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you've been able to listen to the whole show. If not, don't forget, you can go to my host page at uh, Voice America's Seventh Wave Network, the Empowered Healer Show, and you can listen later. We've been talking here with Tim Corcoran, author of Growing Up with a Soul Full of Nature, and it's been great, and I could spend another hour talking to you, Tim. Uh, I wanted to uh, have you share with listeners how they can get in touch with you, how they can get your book, and so forth. Well, um, I have a phone number that's probably the easiest, and, and that would be 530-938-1304. And there's a P.O. box. It's uh, Headwaters Outdoor School, or Tim Corcoran, um, at P.O. Box 1210, Mount Shasta, California, 95076. And the phone yep. number would be a great way to call and leave if you want a book or you just want to talk about the school or anything like that. 
Wonderful. And for all of those uh, people who email and are constantly online. Oh, I email. Am... Yes, I'm a mountain man. I always forget those things. It would be info at hwos.com. Okay. Info I'm laughing. at hwos.com. Thank you. You can see I rarely use email. But we do get I'm, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing just because of, you know, our diatribe against you know, the electronic world and then, you, you know, not giving them the website. So well, I'm still a very strange person. I, I do do email, but I have someone who helps me with it. I hardly ever, ever look at computers. And I still, I'm a very good photographer, but I still use film. So I'm, I'm, I'm holding out. <laughs> I'm glad. We need some people like you in the, on the planet, least. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about your school. This is the Headwaters Outdoor School, everyone, if you're just tuning in. And it's in Mount Shasta, California. I want you to talk about your school, what you love the most about running the school or teaching, and just share a little bit with everyone. Man, well, I, there's a lot to say, so stop me if I get too wordy. I um, will. First of all, we have, we're at Mount Shasta, which is one of the most powerful, incredibly beautiful places on the earth, and the mountain is just astounding. And we have about 120 acres that look right at the mountain. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid at nine years old, I envisioned someday have, having land uh, in the wilderness, and now I have it. It's like my dream came true. And the land is just unbelievably beautiful. So that's where we do the school. And the school is designed to help people. Uh, we have three main subjects. We have wilderness skills, which are the ways, uh, the old ways of living on the land, like fire making, shelter building, and not getting lost, and hide tanning, and cooking, and those kinds of things. So it's teaching self-reliance. So people will go into nature, actually go into nature and feel safe, so they can let loose and really uh, connect deeply. And then there's nature awareness, which is tracking and understanding how nature works and connecting with it and communicating with it, um, and seeing the beauty in it and feeling safe and comfortable in it. And then there's earth philosophy, which is the spiritual side of nature, mm. practicing the schematic ways and, so, and, and looking into that. Mm-hmm. And then there's rites of passage and many side classes like plant medicine and on and on and on um, things that we do. And the school is for adults and kids, and uh, each class becomes a community unto itself, and that's a whole nother teaching. Mm. Um, and I could just go on and on. It's, there's nothing like our school. It's a really unique, extraordinary place and experiences. It's really hard to to have words really put out what really the experience is. It's so amazing. Yeah, there's a counselor here in Santa Cruz uh, in one of the schools, and her son came for several years, and she told me about it. That's how I heard about you. And I already want to come and do the plant you know, I'd like to do the survival piece and, and learning about plants and like how to forage and live off the land. And it's already piquing my excitement. So I'm going to have to come, I think. And we have a beautiful website. It's a, it's, it's www.hwos.com. hwos.com. And there's a tremendous amount of photographs in there. And you get a pretty good idea of the amazingness by looking at that. Yep. No, I loved, I love your website. And yeah, and my grandson, in fact, looked at the website and saw some kids. His hair was long then. He's got this long haired, you know, athlete look, you know, the baseball player, ball star with the long hair in the back. And he saw the kids on your, the pictures of them and they look like him. And so <laughs> he, he immediately went, Oh my gosh, I want to go there. You know, they seem like, you know, those are people like me. That was really cool. So 
you know, we have, you know, just a, a bit of time until we close. I wonder if you could share with listeners what they could do starting right after the show, just some simple things that they could do that would help protect and sustain our natural world. Um, sure. I, first of all, I think it's really important to be educated to what's going on in the world. It's very, very important to know. There's great power in knowing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a great naturalist named Aldo Leopold, one of our greatest. Yep. And he once said that, I'm not quoting this exactly, but the gist of it was that those for those people who are ecologists or deep nature lovers, not only will you see all the beauty of nature and all the wonderment, but you'll see all the wounds. And the mm. wounds are what a society, to some degree or another, has allowed to happen. Yep. So that you must, as becoming a nature lover, you must be able to carry those wounds without becoming overly angry or depressed in the process or give up. And there are so many things wrong today, it's really important that we don't let it stop us from doing good and making things better. And I think the way to make things better, uh, aside from being educated and know what's going on, is to be a part of the solution, not the problem. So join volunteer organizations within your community and help restore creeks and the oceans and and create wildlife sanctuary in your own yard and home. And teach people when you can about nature. Um, buy and sh- you know, shop in ways that reflect a care for the earth. Um, as much as you can be involved, the, be- the better you'll feel. You won't feel like you're the problem then. And then the other very simple thing, and another great naturalist said this, it was Edward Abbey, who was this famous mm-hmm. old desert man. Um, yep. He said, no matter what you do, get involved, do the, do the right thing to make things better, but go out and bag the peaks and climb, you know, go down the rivers and play in nature, be in nature, make it a part of your life. And he said at the end of the day, you'll live longer than those desk-bound uh, people sitting and looking at their calculators. You can see when he wrote that because he said calculator. Wow. But So it's really important not just to be a part of helping fight for nature and volunteering for organizations, but to actually get out and be in it. And I think on a very, very regular basis. I agree. Yeah, I was telling you during the break, I mean, it's my, for my sanity, I have to get out there. I I reach a point where that's it. I can't stand it any longer. And I've got to, you know, it's like John Muir said when he left San Francisco, he said, point me anywhere that's wild. <laughs> and that's how I feel a lot of the time. Got to get out to where it's wild. Yeah, and you know John Muir, he, his last years were in Mar- he lived in Martinez, California. Yep, yep. And a lot of people say the building of Hetch Hetchy Dam in Yosemite National Park injured and wounded him so badly that it contributed to his end. It, it did. I, I've seen the play about that and have read a lot about it, um, and it's true. Um, it's really sad. But, you know, we have you, Tim, and all of our listeners who are going to make a difference, and it's been a pleasure having you on my show. And I, I'll just wrap it up by saying I have great faith. I've I've gone through the ups and downs, and I have great faith, and I truly believe that nature is a great healer for herself also. Um, and to my last breath, I'm going to fight for the earth, and uh, and I'm going to love living in it all the way. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great day. Uh-huh. Thank and you thanks too. all of you're welcome. And thanks all of you for listening today. This week spend some time in nature, filling yourself with its beauty, its freedom. Be a kid, maybe get muddy. Next week we have Harry Massey of Choice Point 
And until then, this is Dr. Susan Allison wishing you some spontaneous fun. Thank you again for listening to the Empowered Healer Show. Please join your host, Dr. Susan Allison, again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have an empowering and fulfilling week. We are happy.